Mitchell. Um, he is, his work is not dependent on things going well. His work is determined by who he is. So I'm going to ask the question, let's testify together tonight. Is there something that you would say, this is why God is worthy? This is, and I want to just give a testimony of this is how I know. This is how God has shown his intrinsic worth and value to me um, lately. So just give a moment of personal testimony. Because he loved the wretched sinner like me. Because he loved the what sinner? Wretched sinner. Yes. He's worthy because I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you're here? Amen. I'm breathing today. Who knows what tomorrow holds, but I'm breathing today. Amen. Any, anything else? Why is God worthy? He's always faithful. He's always faithful. He is always faithful. We have to trust his timing. We do have to trust his timing. And his timing is good. I heard a smart person one time say that God's will is what you would ask for if you knew everything that he does and you saw everything from his perspective. And it's good, isn't it? His will is good. Anything else? He's worthy because he loves us. He does love us. God was with me even when I wasn't with him. Amen. As you said, all the names of God praise his worthy. His name is so important. The names of God are, are expressing the different attributes of God, and this is what makes him worthy.
Father, you are so good to us. You have blessed us in ways beyond our, our imagination. And for that, we are grateful. And I think we all stand here, sit here tonight, and thankful to be a part of your church. And you shed your blood for her, and you have brought us in to your church by grace. And Father, we didn't all come from the same place. We weren't all raised in the same background. Uh, we didn't all come from the same denomination originally. But Father, you've knit us together. There are those in this room who've walked with you for a long, long time, and there are those in this room who've walked with you for less than a year. And Father, we are grateful for that. We're grateful for the diversity in this room. We're grateful, Father, for uh, your son Jesus, who loved us even when we were unlovely, and God demonstrated his love for us, so that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're so grateful for what you've done. We're grateful for friends and family right here. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful that you do not change, that your character is the same. And Father, what we're asking is to be reminded continually of who you are. Because so often, Lord, I here's the problem, here's my, as Pastor Tim said this week, uh, here's my, my grocery list of things that I need you to do for me, and I just forget that you are our Father in heaven, and your name is holy. So, Lord, tonight we just want to come and we want to sit at your feet. We want to take Mary's portion. Uh, Martha's off serving you, but we just want to sit and say thank you. We want to recognize, Father, that your timing is good and your ways are good and your will is good. And we just want to be reminded that we might not understand, but that's what faith is. Faith is trusting what God said, even when my eyes can't see it. Faith is believing that you're not done with us. Faith is trusting that you are building something here among us and that we get to be a part of that and it will not fail or falter. Faith is believing that what you're doing in our day is eternal even when things around us seem to crumble. Faith is being reminded that my hope is not in this world, my treasure is not in this world, but my hope is set in heaven. So help us to fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us, Lord, just to be reminded of who you are. And if we have financial troubles, remember that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and you are a good father who takes care of his children. And Father, if we have relational struggles, that you are a reconciler. Father, if we're struggling with our sin, you are a redeemer and a savior. Father, you are everything that we need. You are living water. You're the bread of life. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, help us to turn our attention and our affection to you now in these moments as we open your word, as we hear from you, as we dialogue and talk about what your word is saying so that we, as a church family, might walk away differently in this next season of life and ministry. Father, I'm praying for Jackson right now, who has a, a group of youth, some of which have never been to our church. I'm praying, Father, for kind of relationships that will be built, for the love of Christ to be on display, that Jesus would so shine before them that they might see the good works of believers there tonight and give glory to the Father, that they might be salt tonight so that it might cause others to thirst for Christ. I'm praying for our youth group, Lord. Build it, grow it, and change it. Save students into the kingdom for the glory of God. And Lord, build your church here tonight. We want to be a part of a movement of God. And if we're entirely dependent on what you can do, we can't do it. We can't save anybody. We can't grow anything. All we can do is be faithful to plant and water. So help us, O Lord. Sing this, this doxology with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. 
copy of God's Word. I hope you brought it tonight. And we're going to do... Hey, Jackson just sent a text message. Sorry. We have 18 students tonight. Sunday morning uh, and, and then take it a couple steps, okay? And so that's what we're going to kind of do tonight. And so Acts chapter 6 says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now remember, I told you Sunday, so if you didn't do it Sunday, do it today. That word distribution is an important word, so circle it right there. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Again, take, take your pen, circle the word serve, or at least do it in your head. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out... From among you, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said, oh, oh sorry, the end of verse 4, circle ministry. Okay? Verse 5 says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumba, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6. I added one in there. Okay. Verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, we started Sunday morning by saying, do we not want to be a part of verse 7, uh, a verse 7 kind of church, that the church is multiplying, multiplying. Now, we, wouldn't we be, we're pleased, right? Our youth group just saw 18 tonight, and so there were a number added to it. But wouldn't it be incredible if 18 multiplied by 2? Wouldn't it, that, wouldn't that be awesome? So we're not adding 2 to it, we're multiplying by 2. And I reminded you, if I said, would you like me to add 100 to your bank account, $100, or would you like me to multiply your bank account by $100? Which would you say? Okay. Multiply. That's a no-brainer. Okay? And we want to live in this kind of church. But what we see in this is a, an example or maybe a prescription of what the church was doing and what God was setting up or initiating for his church, okay? So let's, let's just look at this. This is where, I reminded you, this is where we saw kind of the institution of the office of deacon and kind of a separation between the role of a deacon and the role of a pastor, okay? And so I just want to take a deep dive for a second. Now, here's the story. And imagine this. A church is growing and people complain. Can you imagine that? 
That would never happen, right? They're in my seat. I, I, I don't know anybody anymore. You know, just imagine. Um, so, church is growing. A complaint arises. Now, we, we see that there are apostles. And these apostles recognize the problem that not only is there a complaint rising up, but that complaint is causing disunity. And so these apostles recognize the problem, and they say, listen, we need to solve the problem, but for us to solve the problem is going to take us away from something that God has called us to. Are you with me? So what we see in the end of verse 1 is the word distribution. Okay, There was a daily distribution of food in a time of famine. So that word distribution, at the end of verse 2, the apostles say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That word serve is an important word in this passage. And lastly, so after they say pick out some men and that we can put to this duty. Verse 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's what I want you to understand. The word distribution, the word serve, and the word ministry all come from the same Greek word. And it is the word diakonos or diakonia. Okay, so this word diakonia is the English, or we get the English word deacon from. Okay? That Greek word is where we get our Greek or our English word deacon. All right? And so what it meant was uh, one who served, specifically one who was a table servant. And so we have, we see deacons all the time when we go to restaurants. That person is fulfilling, who is serving your table, is fulfilling the role of a deacon. Not in the church, not in some ordained way. But that person is fulfilling the role of a table servant. Okay? And so this is what we see. We see that deacons were initiated not as leaders of the church, those who would govern, but those who would lead by serving. They would lead by serving. Do you remember? What did our Savior do in John chapter 13 that really set the tone for this? The night before he had betrayed, he had served the Lord's Supper. What is the very next thing in John chapter 13 that our Lord Jesus does that sets the tone for service? Washing their feet. Now, do you remember? Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to do what? Serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So this role that the deacon is going to fulfill is not a lowercase role. It's not an unimportant role. It is the role that our Savior took in serving. It's an important role. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And I said this Sunday morning. There were three jobs, three kind of responsibilities of the deacon. The first is to protect the unity of the church. To protect the unity of the church. So what was happening in the passage? Disunity. The, the role or office of deacon came to the top. How? Through a time of disunity. The role of deacon was initiated to stop this disunity from happen by, happening by, the second thing that a deacon does, by meeting the physical needs of the church. Now, how many of you have been to a, a church and you went to this church and their deacon ministry did these things and then you went to this church and this deacon ministry kind of took these roles? Have you ever been and seen different churches do it different ways? The, the main point, I don't believe, is that the only thing that a deacon can do is to serve widows. But rather, that a deacon does what's necessary in service to make sure to protect the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's what Ephesians 4 says. May be eager to maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit brings. That is an important role of a deacon. They do that by meeting the physical needs of the church. 
And the end goal or the third responsibility of that deacon is to undergird the ministry of the word. Undergird the ministry of the word. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 3 or, or 2. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to do what? To serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good refuge, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, please the whole gathering, and they appointed these people. Verse 7 says, and the word of God continued to increase. And what was the result of the word of God increasing? The number of disciples multiplied. Now here's what I want you to see, clear as crystal. When a pastor... Those who are tasked with preaching and teaching the word of God, when a pastor is able to devote themselves to ministry and the, or to prayer and the word, the ministry of the word, because deacons are devoting themselves to another ministry to meet the physical need, to protect the unity of the church. The word is undergirded. When both of those offices in the church are fulfilling their God-given roles, the church multiplies. Now, I'm going to poke a minute. Southern Baptists, since the 1800s, have really gotten deacons backwards. Because in the 1800s, there came this thing called the Industrial Revolution. And it was during the time of the Industrial Revolution that churches began to institute this idea of a board. You can't find an idea of a board anywhere in the scriptures. But it was a term that came up in the Industrial Revolution, and we as Southern Baptists saw it as pragmatic or practical, and we welcomed it into the church and Deacons became a governing board rather than a serving body. And we've gotten this wrong. By God's grace, a number of years ago, the leadership of Seneca Baptist Church, before I got here, said, we're not going to get this wrong any longer. We're going to get this right. And so by God's grace, um, the leadership and the deacons and the church body made the decision that our deacons at Seneca Baptist are going to be servants, not governors. And that's good news. That's good news. So we see the differentiation in this passage between a deacon and a pastor. Now, have you ever read 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 3, where the Paul to young Timothy gives the qualifications of a pastor and the qualifications of a deacon. There's really only one main difference between the qualifications of a pastor and the qualifications of a deacon. Can somebody tell me what that qualification difference is? One. Aptitude. The ability or the aptitude to teach. The ability to teach. So, so I want you to understand that, that God is not doing a hierarchy of this office is better than this office. This is a lower office. No. What are we? The body of Christ. Amen? And God, in his sovereignty, has equipped people to serve in different ways inside the body. So if I fulfill what God has uh, qualified Dan to do, if I, if I try to live out Dan's calling, number one, I'm going to be miserable, and number two, the body's going to limp. So we've got to serve in our different ways, and so that's where the spiritual gifts come in. We had a good conversation about that on Sunday morning in our new member orientation class. And we, we took some rabbit trails, didn't we, Shannon? 
it was fun. But every one of us has been given a spiritual gift. You have. You have. Each one of you. If you are in Christ, that means you're filled with the Spirit, and that means God has equipped you to serve his church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, To each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you have a gift that ought to be used in service to the church. I have a gift that I ought to use in service to the church. Now, the question is, you might be asking, what's my spiritual gift? Dr. Hemphill would love to help you with that. Some people say, what's the difference between spiritual gifts and natural gifts? Here it is, ready? Redemption. Redemption. And I was telling Sunday morning, I said, I've always been able to teach people stuff. But before I was saved, I could teach you how to fly fish. And I could do it well. And I could put a fly cast into words and make a word picture of a fly cast and what it's supposed to look like. And I could teach you with my words how to read water in a stream. The problem was, God had not called me to be a fisher of fish. He called me to be a fisher of men. And it wasn't until I was redeemed that God took my natural gift of being able to put words and sentences together, and he redeemed them, filled them with his spirit, and gave me a new purpose behind me. So in this passage, what you see is spiritual gifts come to fruition right here. There are people that God called and equipped to serve. And there are people that God called and equipped to teach. Amen? Amen. And so we see that in this passage. And what happens when we fulfill our God-given roles? When each one of us are doing what God's called us to do, the church multiplies. Multiplies. But if we can be honest, have you ever seen somebody saved God? Man, I just wish I had their gift. We do two things when we do that. One is we look at God and say, I don't like the gift you gave me. I think I know better than you. And if you had made me like them, I'd have been awesome too. I'd really be useful to your kingdom. No, God made you you. Be you in Christ. Second, when you try to fulfill somebody else's gifting, you will not find flourishing in that. You will be sundered. You will be frustrated. Have you ever tried doing something that you knew God really wasn't in it, but somebody asked you if you'd do it, and they kind of gave you the guilt trip? We really need somebody to do this in our church. Come on now. We really need you. We really need something. Would you be willing? And then when you get on that committee or team or whatever it's called, somebody says, "Oh, Ryan's not here. Let's let's let him be the chair." Isn't that how it happens? How do you choose a chair in a Baptist church? Whoever's not there, that that's your chair. So always show up to the first meeting and be the first one to nominate somebody. There you go. And have you ever been in that position? And you, it was entirely frustrating to you because you knew that God had not called you to that? God had not equipped you for that? Now, I love Ron Baker, and I'm not going to share his whole story, but he said, I've been, I've been a deacon two times at Seneca Baptist Church. He said, the first time, I was asked but not called. Did you hear me? Was it a good was it a good time? No. The second time God called me. And there was a difference. Listen to me, church. My point is in this passage we see offices emerge. Offices. The the office of pastor, the office deacon. And they're gifted. And we need both of those places 
filled. Now, Sunday morning I said, in the New Testament, there are three different words that the New Testament uses to describe the office of pastor. Do you remember what they are? I just gave you one. What are they? Pastor. Elder. Overseer. Now, the moment that we mention elder in a, in a Baptist church, we get queasy, right? Because we've never used that word. But a pastor is an elder. And an elder is an overseer. And an overseer is a pastor. There are three different titles to describe the functions of the pastor, shepherd. Okay, so the pastor is, is the Greek word poimen. It comes from the, the, the verb poimeno, which means to shepherd. That's the word pastor. It means someone who shepherds and cares for people and feeds people and leads people. Then the second word is elder, and the Greek word is presbyteros. What's that sound like? Presbyterian, where we get that. The word, the Greek word for overseer or bishop in the King James Version is the Greek word episkopos. What's that sound like? <laughs> now, here's what we've done. We've taken it and you go, well, I can't be an elder because that's Presbyterian. I can't be a bishop because that's Episcopalian or Catholic. No, no, no. Just understand that the word episkopos does not mean episcopal. It means overseer. One who oversees a group of people to see that a task is accomplished. So what's a pastor, what's his responsibility? Well, he gets to be an elder who is, has wisdom. And at that time, I just laugh at myself because I go, Lord, I'd be like Solomon. Solomon goes, God, do you see how great your people is? And you expect me, this young whippersnapper, to, to, to lead them and shepherd them? Grant me wisdom. See, there, there are things that the Bible's clear on. And it's, that's not wisdom. That's obedience. But I need wisdom when the Bible is not clear. Who do I marry? That's a wisdom question, not a Bible question, not, a, not a, a commandments question. Are you with me? I'm with you. So, so a lot of times in church, there are things that are clearly revealed in Scripture, and we ought not mess with those. We obey those things, but then there are times where we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We've got an air conditioner in here right now. Can you imagine that would happen at Trinity Baptist Church? We've got like 39,000 air conditioner units to this building. I might be exaggerating slightly. We have a lot. Lord, how do we do that? That's wisdom. Not, there's no Bible verse that I've found. If you found one, please let me know. It says, thus, this is how you should replace air conditioning. Wisdom. So an elder is one who's respected, who has wisdom, and who gives counsel. That's an Old Testament term. Pastor is an Old Testament term. Pastor shepherd. Read the book of Ezekiel, and you'll... Get the difference between good pastors and bad pastors. And Jesus promises one day, or God promises one day in Ezekiel 34, that one day he's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna kind of judge all these bad shepherds and he's going to give a new shepherd. Anybody know who that new shepherd would be? Jesus. The good shepherd. He promises one day I'm going to come and I'm going to shepherd my people and I'm going to seek the straying one. I'm going to bind up the wounded one. I'm going to feed my sheep. And it's just a great promise. So even shepherd, this idea of pastor is not a New Testament term. It's brought forward from the Old Testament. So the, the role of the pastor is to um, oversee a group of people, to make sure that the task is accomplished, to keep people going the same direction. Can you imagine being a shepherd and having 100 sheep and trying to keep all the sheep going in one direction. That's, that's the role. Of a pastor, an overseer, all, all accomplishing one task. Now, 
All right, as we, as we come into this idea, we see the difference between pastor and deacon. Are you with me? Any questions on that? That was a lot. Maybe you heard that for the first time on Sunday morning, and I just kind of recapped it to you. What questions do you have? Yes, ma'am. Needed to be informed as to what the role was really like, and we can see that in scripture. Yes, ma'am. So it, it just, I mean, that's all I ever knew when I was growing up in the Baptist church. Is the deacons were the the head church, you know? And um, so I believe we can get them. Of course. But they did not um, understand the true role of the deacon. So just as your pastor. It's my role to bring up scripture, right? And so not to say that there was ill intent anywhere, but to say, hey, I don't know about you guys, but part of my life is this, this um, piece called repentance. I recognize that I've, I've fallen short of the glory of God, and I recognize that, and I, I attempt to go the right direction by the power of the Spirit. And that's exactly what we're doing in this process. Yes, No, the opposite way. So the, the deacons step out of the governing role before I got here. Okay. Before I got here. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. One of the other reasons historically that the deacons became kind of a board, other than the history you commented on, is that the average tenure of Southern Baptist pastor is less than 18 months. So the problem was that many of the smaller churches, if you didn't have any continuity with, with a board of directors, if you would, a lot of them even get separation into leadership. And so that's one of the things that Southern Baptists have been trying to work towards, that that tenure become a longer tenure so we can have time to build those relationships. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. I appreciate that. No, it, that was just one of the elements that happened in many churches. That if you if you're changing heads that quickly good. all the time, then you don't have any continuity. That's good. That's good. Any other questions or comments? So are we still in that same setup that before you got here? Not necessarily. Okay. What we haven't found though is the right balance of what does a pastor do? What is his role? And so for many people, you might have grown up with a pastor who was maybe more like a chaplain, who wasn't a strong leader, but was a very kind, loving, compassionate person. And so they were great at caring and not great at leading. And so there are a lot of different ways that that plays out. And so what we're trying to do here at Seneca Baptist is, is move into a healthier structure that I'd like to show you in the book of Acts. So grab your Bible real fast and let's take a journey. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 11. And I want you to look at verse 30. Acts 11, verse 30. So, um, they're now in Antioch. And this is what it says, okay? So we've got Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, and in verse 30, and it says, And they did so, which is, they determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. That's verse 29. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what do you see, what do you notice in that passage about one of the words that we've talked about? Okay, elders. 
Uh, the word elder. Is it singular or plural? Plural. Okay. Now keep going with me. Acts chapter 14, verse 23.
mountains to us. And this is a place that we ought to work toward. It's, it's, it's recognizing that it's not just Ryan and not just Christopher that God has gifted in our church to pastor, shepherd, teach, oversee. That God has both paid pastors and lay pastors or unpaid pastors in our church. There is incredible wisdom in a group of pastors shepherding a church. Here's how. You ready? I'm going to be quiet in a minute and I'll let you ask a question or two. Number one, it protects the church. It protects the church. Having a plurality or a, a plural group of shepherds leading means that one person is, is not the one who everything in the church rises and falls on. It's not one person that is caring for every person in the flock. It's not one person that decides the direction and oversees the work. It's all the men that God has gifted to shepherd and teach doing that together. It is protective for the church. We have, I don't know if you follow it like I do, but pastors are falling and dropping like flies. it protects the church that there are a group of godly men that God has called to shepherd and oversee given great wisdom to it's, it's protective for the church that men would do that together now it's also protective for me it's protective for the pastor now, I know at the end of my day, Hebrews 13 says that I will stand before God to give an account for your service. That's what shepherds will do. And you want to say, what keeps a shepherd from being abusive? That verse. I know that at the end of my life, I will stand before the Father and give an account for you. But every day, the weight of every decision, and if I can just be honest, have you ever had a pastor make a bad decision? Or a decision that you might have disagreed with? It's protective for the church, and it's protective for the pastor. And when I open the Bible, I don't see a single pastor lead a men's church in the New Testament. Do you? Titus 1.5, Paul says to young Titus, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, to put what lacked in order and to appoint elders in the church. And maybe tonight I kind of feel like young Titus. Paul saying to me, this is why I put you at Seneca Baptist. And it's to put what remains, what lacked, what was lacking into order, and to appoint elders, plural, in the church for the good. I can name names about people that God has given the ability to teach and God has given great wisdom, but I'm not going to do that tonight. But this, is what I see a biblical model of church leadership. Does that answer your question a little bit more? Rather than one guy at the top and we either are all behind him or all say, crucify him, right? That together there are godly men.